This morning we continue our sermon series based on the recently approved vision frame, uh, which is a new set of, uh, not a new set, we have a new, uh, a new mission statement. We have, uh, this team has elevated values that has always been a part of the church. They've determined a strategy uh, to fulfill that mission and discovered ways uh, to measure spiritual growth. Uh, this series is designed so that we might become more familiar with who we are, our identity, our purpose in this particular uh, place. Uh, so much so that when we talk about our faith, people in the community in Jasper or Bent Tree or Big Canoe uh, know easily that uh, we are uh, who we are, that you are a part of our church and that we love uh, the Lord. Uh, today we're going to be looking at uh, an implicit part of our mission statement, but an explicit uh, value that we have, which is embodied relationships. And the implicit part of our mission statement, our mission statement, uh, we are here to connect people to Jesus, the spring of life. And the hidden part of that mission statement is that we live in a world where there are so many disconnected people. Disconnected from the truth, disconnected from the Lord, but also disconnected from one another. And we read uh, this morning from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, uh, uh, verse 12 to 20. And we read this. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them just as he wanted them to be. If there were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So lately, uh, this has been a trend that people have noticed uh, in the world that many people have quit or at least are taking a break from social media. Now, that might not be a surprise to a lot of you. Uh, designed to share information, networks like Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, even YouTube or TikTok, uh, claim to strengthen relationships by improving our connection with other people. Now, to some extent, that's true. Many of us have reconnected with people that in the past we would have only seen at, uh, during the holidays or maybe uh, a 20-year, 50-year school reunion. And that's neat. We can see these people and how their lives have gone. Every time we jump online and log on to one of these networks, we can witness the growth of our friends' adorable kids or grandkids. We can see the shenanigans of our, our neighbor's new puppy. We can learn what our coworkers had for dinner or where they went 
for dinner. We can learn all of these things. With the advent of uh, going live on these things, you can actually see what someone is doing that very moment as they broadcast their activities uh, to the world. Most of those, just in case you're interested, if you ever go searching for people to look at and see what they're doing, most of what they're doing is fairly mundane. It's like, you know, brewing coffee, it's things like that. It's not exciting. It's not that exciting. But over the past several years, these networks have also shown themselves uh, to be very good at actually doing the exact opposite of uh, bringing people together. Rather than connecting uh, one another, individuals on those sites have instead separated into increasingly hostile camps or tribes. We see this uh, in our culture uh, right now. Designed for encouragement, social media has become a place to vent rage and fear, opportunities uh, to live into what the poet Yeats describes as signs of civilization, civil, civilizational decline. He wrote, uh, the best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. That seems like a fairly apt description of our world and especially social media. One journalist re- uh, recently wrote that I feel angry every time I scroll through my newsfeed. In this mood, I noticed affects how I speak with my coworkers, my husband, my children, and my friends. And so I deleted all these apps and uh, all deleting those apps from my phone made me feel more disconnected from my online friends, but brought me so much more peace. In response to the frustration and stress, a lot of people have been taking a break from social media, have been deleting them from their phones and tablets to focus on happier and healthier things. This is a wise decision. Studies across the board have shown that stepping away from being consistently online increases joy and contentment and brings a more positive outlook to your life and future. But sadly, this is where it's a little bit startling. Those who have taken a break have realized that social media is just a symptom of a larger social, an even larger social illness. Designed for a community, the world today is profoundly disconnected. Former Nebraska Senator uh, Ben Sass argued in his book, uh, Them, uh, that the deeper reason behind our conflict is loneliness more than anything else. Lacking authentic connection with other people, fighting with others is the only way we know how to address our isolation. That's fairly profound. The only way we feel connected is by fighting with other people. Unfortunately, our detachment from others has very real consequences. In May of this year, uh, the Surgeon General of the United States echoed the sentiment of healthcare professionals when he declared, Our epidemic of loneliness and isolation has been an underappreciated public health crisis that has harmed individual and societal health for years. Our relationships are a source of healing and well-being hidden in plain sight. One that can help us live healthier, more fulfilled, and more productive lives. He writes, during my years caring for patients, the most common pathology, in other words, the thing that is most wrong across the board, across the board, uh, was not heart disease or diabetes, 
It was loneliness. Loneliness was the underlying condition. Indeed, studies show uh, uh, in this report, uh, he compiles a whole bunch of studies, and it showed that the physical health consequences of poor or insufficient connection include a 29% increased risk of heart disease, a 32% risk, uh, increased risk of stroke, and a 50% increased risk of developing dementia for older adults. Additionally, a lack of connection, connection increases risk of premature death by more than 60%. The risk of developing depression among people who report feeling lonely often is more than double that of people who rarely or never feel lonely. Loneliness and social isolation in childhood increases the risk of depression and anxiety both immediately and well into the future. Loneliness, disconnection has real effects. The worst part, of course, isn't just that we're lonely, but that we so often struggle to find real connection in such a broken world. Instead of remaining open to new relationships, treating people as potential gifts, or meeting strangers as divine appointments that our Lord has set up for us, our default response is usually to vilify or maybe assume the worst. We quickly assign people to one group or another so we don't have to engage with them more than we want. Unable or unwilling to find common ground, our world is full of disconnected people living in ways that seem contrary to the community that our God desires for his children. Now, on some, sometimes relational space might sometimes be necessary in times of conflict, but our God designs each of us to flourish in community. All of us can survive a life of isolation. But none of us thrive when we are completely alone. Deep down, our souls desire joyful, peaceful, fruitful fellowship with other people. We crave community and desperately desire a place in people to call our own. We want to find a place where we are valued and we have purpose, but most of all, where we belong. We know this, of course, because we've not just caught glimpses of community around us, but experienced real connection in our own lives. We've experienced genuine connection with family and friends, with groups of people. But every earthly community we find remains subject to change. Friends move away, family members grow uh, up. All of them remain subject to change, and so none of them can offer the lasting belonging that we seek. As we wade through this fractured society, we realize we don't just crave community, we need it. With it, we flourish, but without it, we wither. The Apostle Paul understood this basic human need, but also knew that the church, with all of its flaws and turbulence, was the only community that could offer an eternal sense of belonging and purpose. Only in the body of Christ do we find the harmony of disciples who have endured conflict, but were reconciled and restored by the one who brought and continues to hold them together. Only one place rewrites our natural tendency toward isolation and replaces it with a supernatural kindness 
and love and openness towards others, extending even to strangers we've never met. There's only one person who can rewrite our family tree so that we can see the image of God and all people and recognize any other disciple, not just as a friend, but as a brother and sister in faith. So Paul compares the church to the physical body because he saw that every community of believers is a divinely gathered assembly of people whose gifts and talents and passions complement one another so the work of Jesus can be accomplished in our world. Now in this light, solitary faith has never been an option for a believer. Yes, solitude, being alone, is an important facet of our walk with the Lord. It's good to go and be with him alone. But Paul considers engagement with the body of Christ a foundational part of the Christian life. He makes this point by illustrating the absurdity of individual body parts trying to live apart from the rest of the body. On their own, members of a body are not just useless, right? They are dead. They're cut off from their source of life. A hand cannot grasp without an arm to reach, eyes to see, or legs that move. And we work as a body to a similar principle. Our Lord didn't design his children to live without the help and the support and the simple presence of other believers. Billy Graham once described the church like this. He says, churchgoers are like coals in a fire. When they cling together, they keep the flame aglow, but when they separate, they die out. Throughout Scripture, our Lord makes clear that his children should live in the presence of other believers. We see this right at the beginning. In Genesis, the Lord saw it wasn't good for Adam to be alone, so he created Eve to be his wife and partner and friend. From a barren couple, the Lord allowed Abraham and Sarah to have a family in their old age and become the first people of a nation that would become more numerous than the stars in the sky. In Psalm 133, David proclaims how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And John writes that the fellowship of the church is meant to be shared, that Uh, He says uh, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you that you too may have fellowship with us, that you may have connection with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. More than any other organization or personal experience of faith, the church reminds us of who and whose we are Because it always points back to Jesus. And Jesus is the one who brought all of us together. As we fellowship, as we study the word, as we worship the Lord together, we are called to greater acts of devotion, deeper acts of service, and brought closer not only to others, but Jesus himself. Paul wants us to understand that Christian community is not just an added benefit. It's not a perk of the Christian life, but it's a natural consequence of the Holy Spirit's presence in the lives of believers. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German pastor uh, in the midst of World War II, he ended up being a martyr 
Uh, He was murdered by the Nazis at the very end of the war. Uh, He wrote this. uh, 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 He said, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize, but rather a reality created by God and Jesus in which we can participate. The more clearly we learn to recognize the ground and the strength and promise of our fellowship rest in Jesus Christ alone, the more serenely shall we think of our community of faith and pray and hope for it. A primary result of believing in Jesus comes when, through the power of the Spirit, we are gathered and united and placed into a community designed for our good and his glory. Only the Spirit can gather completely different people with completely different stories and unite them under one roof and one name. Even people who were once enemies are brought together in the bonds of Christian love. Paul understands this more intimately than others because he was once what? An enemy of the church. He was standing outside the church, not just outside the church. He wanted to tear it down. He was on his way to murder and arrest uh, early believers when Jesus appeared to him. And it sent him directly to those people, to the people that he was trying to murder. And they accepted him because they knew that Jesus had sent them. He writes in uh, Ephesians 2 about this new unity, this peace that he uh, finds. He says, Jesus himself is our peace who has made the two one and has torn down the dividing wall of hostility. Surrounded by other believers, uh, he, uh, just like Hebrews 10 proclaims, the Spirit moves us to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day that is drawing near. When our lives are joined to Jesus, both our desire for eternal belonging and ultimate purpose has been met in the same place. And we begin to live embodied relationships with others. We replace our isolation with connection. Paul echoes this reality uh, by using two distinct verbs in verse 18. The first is this. Paul writes that God arranged the members in the body. In the Greek, the word arranged hints our membership in any Christian community that we belong to the family of God has been planned ahead of time. Like pieces of a puzzle, we have been placed here for a particular reason by the spirit of the living God. We are part of this church, this community, because God believes that our presence here around these wonderful and uh, broken people that sit around us will increase our faith and bring us into a deeper relationship with his son, Jesus. Just like the Lord has placed the stars and the sky and outlined boundaries for the sea, he has also placed you and me here for a reason. He has arranged that we should be here together. That should be a great encouragement for all of us. Second, Paul concludes that same sentence by saying, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, 
each of them as he chose. This sort of doubles down on the idea that God has intentionally placed you here. It is not a random uh, choice that puts you in this community, that puts you in the family of God, but that our placement here in this particular community brings our God delight. Our involvement in the church and the body of Christ isn't the results of some careless utilitarian God, but the product of unspeakable grace. He chose to bring you here because it brings him joy. He chose to bring all of us together because it brings him joy. Our participation in his mission to the world here in this particular community brings him pleasure. Our Lord chooses to reveal Jesus to the world not through a collection of perfect uh, saints, but through struggling people like you and me. It pleases God to gather broken people together and let them reflect his light to the world around them. Our presence here together delights our God, and together we are each promised unrivaled encouragement, unending love, and the continued revelation of our eternal purpose. When our vision uh, frame team was meeting, we uh, talked about what it meant to be together. And they recognize that our God has gathered us here for a reason. This means that whenever someone comes to visit, whether for the first time or the last time, we are excited to welcome them because they just might be part of God's plan for us here too. We are uh, called as a church community to be intentional about spending time with one another and fellowship. And we aren't afraid to walk through tough moments of life with our brothers and sisters in Christ when they come either. We have been joined to the body of Jesus himself, so we might be his hands and feet in this world. We are called to embodied relationships, to rejoice in our connection with one another. When we do this together, we flourish, not just individually, but as a community placed here by our God. In a disconnected world, we are connected to something greater. We are connected to Jesus, and we are also connected to one another so we might do what our God has always asked us to do and be. So church, I ask that you rejoice with us. Rejoice when we are together so we might love one another as Jesus has loved us, that we might address the loneliness and isolation of this world that we might connect others, that we might connect a disconnected people to Jesus, the spring of eternal life. Hallelujah. Amen.